cute. Uh, hello. Hello. Um, I'm Ron, and this is Masha. Hi, guys. And these are my books. This is a new one that just came out. What Parsifal Saw. This is a cartoon utopia. It's in paperback. I didn't prepare what... We didn't talk about what we're going to talk about. We already know what we're going to talk about, though. I, I don't crumble in front of them. <laughs> I don't know what to talk about. Okay, why don't we start with this? I have a really good idea. You guys want to have some fun and change your mind without any drugs? It's fun. Come on. Okay, this is a mind-altering drawing technique that I came up with a while ago. So I think I have enough paper for everybody, but if not, maybe you guys have a couple of pieces, but I don't know. Maybe we'll have enough. Here, you want to take one, Ron? you got to do it, too. Yes. We must do it ensemble. So pass those around. And then I also have drawing utensils as well. But the, my only request is you guys bring them up when you're done because they belong to my children. And I'll get totally busted if I don't bring them back. Pick a color, any color. I'm going to take a purple one. They're fun. So the reason that Maja is here with me with these books is because a whole bunch of the comics in the cartoon Utopia are based on Maja's lectures. I like to blab a lot, so he caught some of my blabs. That I, that I went to in the book. I went for long. The book is from like 2008 to 2011. So long ago. But it went on longer than 2011. But yeah. I'll just say it's been a while. We've known each other for a while. When I think of them. That's good. Does everyone, is everyone still getting your art supplies? I need a paper. Oh, you didn't get paper? Is, was there any extras? Oh, so sacrificial. We'll get a little more. She's going to grab a little more. So when you get your paper, if you guys can fold it in half like this so that it looks like a little book. We'll get a couple more. Oh, thank you. Wonderful. And then I think he needs one over there. I know, some of them are busted, but they still work. It should still draw, I think, if there's as long as it's not on the shiny part. It has to have a tip. Everybody got? Is everyone arted up? Still a couple missed. You didn't get a crayon? Who's got the crayons? Can we bring them up to the front if you guys get them back there? Who's hoarding the crayons? Oh, James, you've totally done this one before. <laughs> Yay, good job, you guys. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. First, on the front page, I'm going to have you guys do a quick self-portrait. doesn't have to be fancy. doesn't even have to look like you. You could even do a symbol of what you like to represent yourself as. And just quickly... weird to draw yourself without a mirror because you have to try to remember who you are. <laughs> and then when you're done, open it up and then fold it like this so you can't see the drawing that you just drew. So it is like incognito. So that basically your drawing will be on that side, but we're going to draw on the other side of it. Okay? 
Now, what I want you to do is redraw the drawing you just did from your memory without looking. Don't cheat. And see if you can get it exactly like how you just drew it. remember where you put all the lines. First, you had to remember yourself, and then second, you had to remember your symbol of yourself. And now third, if you are you guys all pretty much close to done? Mostly? Okay, now you want to turn it over so you can't see the other drawings that you did. And now I want you to draw that same drawing that you just did without looking at the previous ones upside down. Don't turn your paper around, though. You really have to draw it upside down. Use your brain to think about it. You can even do it upside down and backwards if you want to get fancy. <laughs> it's really good. Let me know when you guys are all done. Pretty close. Good job. Which one of those was hardest for you guys? Which one? The upside down one. It was pretty weird. You had to reorient your entire perspective, didn't you? You don't usually do that. You guys, those kind of exercises are really good to do on a regular basis. Do you know who did them all the time? Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, you're so smart. You totally knew it. I saw when you raised your hand. Leonardo da Vinci wrote all his writings upside down and backwards in a mirror format. He did it for two purposes. One, so people can super spy on all his super genius ideas. And secondly, to keep his mind active. He had a lot of little tricks that he would do to keep him connected to his creative genius. And these kind of little exercises, which may seem like, you know, dumb kindergarten stuff, actually engage your perceptive mind in ways that we don't usually do, because we're used to approaching everything in a very straightforward manner. But as soon as you start to even think of a concept that you had upside down or reversed, oh, now we're, we grow when you do that. And this also happens, P.S., when you have an opinion or an idea, and then you could maybe think of the opposite of that idea, right? Now you're starting to get into alchemy time. So even little practices like doing drawings that might push your brain to think and operate from a different point of view than you're used to taking have a mind-expanding result. So even when you see like comics, you might think comics are kind of dumb, but even drawings that make your mind think of perceptive states other than the ones you hold cause an expansion to occur. So they're really important to do. I've noticed, I don't know who's telling them or why it's happening, but I've noticed a bunch of different cartoonists recently like drawing with their left hand or their non-dominant. Oh, on purpose? On purpose and like doing comic, like this is my left hand comic. And I'm like, what, why are, what, it's... It's, virtu- it's like kung fu, right? You yeah. have to do some things hard if, on purpose. I think the idea is if anything ever happens, then so you can still have, you can keep going, like keep working or something. Oh, they could use their feet too if they really wanted to That's get true. cool. Yeah. Right? But I haven't tried any of those exercises yet. Yeah. Try to push your boundaries. Yeah. 
So if you if you think you're really comfortable and you're like, oh, I'm such a good artist, I can totally draw anything at all, right? Try to challenge yourself to the next level. Push your boundaries. Push your limits. Try to draw things in a different way that maybe you wouldn't have thought of. Because you know what happens then? Then we get stuff like cubism or abstract art that shows up all of a sudden. And you guys can do it in your own brain just by shifting the way that you perceive a regular thing. Now you're on par with Leonardo da Vinci and the abstract artists. <laughs> now we have to burn these in effigy. We do? No, just kidding. No, we really, that would... We still have yeah. one page left. Yeah, we do. I know, there's still a blank one. That's for the mystery. <laughs> you guys will have to fill that yourself, right? It's pretty good. Yeah. But really, doing this is... I. The book is all notes that I turned into comics, and I would totally be doodles. Yeah, like class doodles, which I had done for a long time in school, but I guess it was always supposed to be kind of bad. I was always a doodler too. How many of you guys in here were ever doodlers? Let's see. Oh, good. Most most people are doodlers in here. A lot of people don't ever doodle, right? They just focus on their stupid math or whatever. (laughs) They never would doodle anything in the corner. But yeah, it was like I had been practicing it for a long time and not really doing anything, and I would just be listening to you say stuff, and I'd be like, all right, that's nine panels right there. That's right. <laughs> Doodling. Yeah. It's pretty good. Doodling and then representing them. It's a different... If you're thinking of information and listening to it, you're kind of like making it go through a process when you take it and then make the images, right? It's like you're taking... Everyone does that when you make like a book into a movie or whatever, right? You can do it just through doodling while you're listening to something because that's going to be your subconscious interpretation of the thing that you're listening to, right? You would often pause, though, and say the same thing like five times. Yeah, repetition. Yeah, but you would stop and then you would say it and I'd be like, that's... I gotta get that one. Key points. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if I could compare like those things and go back to listen to like recordings of some of those. Oh, that's and funny. See if I got the bullet points. If you were correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you were a good student. Yeah. Well, you never yeah. looked in there. You never before. You never like ah, this part's wrong. I didn't get. Oh it. yeah, I didn't give him corrections. It's true. I asked, right? It's true. No, I went. We I went over it, and it was uh-huh. really accurate. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> But it's funny, you guys, I don't know how many, I have told this story before, but I actually met Ron so long ago at that first um, ape convention in San Francisco. Any of you guys comic nerds ever go to the ape convention? It used to be really good. I don't know. I haven't haven't been been in a long time. (laughs) We're getting old. Um, But I met him there because you did Skibber Be Bye, and I brought my copy of Skibber Be Bye for Ron to sign because it was so amazing. I don't know how many of you guys have seen that book. But I came up to him. Oh, yeah, look, there it is on the shelf. That's so cute. That was what brought me to you was as a fan. Um, and I remember exactly, I went up to your table, and you were so high and tight back then. You had this bow tie on, and your hair was all short, and you looked so East Coast. And you had, like, a proper jacket on and everything. And I remember saying, like, wow, he's high and tight. <laughs> Cartoonist stuff. Right? That was, I think it was, you had just Skibber Bee by, and then maybe a couple I remember meeting Sammy Markham at that. Yeah, he was there. I was living with him at the time. God, he owns Family Bookstore. Like yeah. Have you guys been to Family over, yeah. So cute. But yeah, you told me, I didn't know what that, like, you were like, well, it's the hero's journey. Exactly. And you, and you were like, well, this is that, and this is, they're all you, I think you said. And I was just like, oh, gee. But Skibber Bee Bye is this, like, it's my, like, one, like fiction 300-page, like, graphic novel, and I don't know. I just wrote it, it you know, over a course of, like, maybe, like, two years. But Did I, it I just come out to, of you? I was, yeah. Yeah. But I was in my early 20s, and I was just, like, trying to write a write a long thing like a script or a book or a movie or like whatever I mean I knew it was going to be a comic book at the time I wasn't yeah. thinking of those other things really but like I just assumed that like how people I don't know how people write fiction novels but yeah I was just like I would just get the idea and it would just yeah when I read it it was stream of consciousness and when I look at it now it does seem all like archetypal it seemed very like yes. stream of consciousness like it just yeah. went like you were going like on a train ride 
right? Do you guys ever read comics like that where it's just like, here we go, and then it takes you on a little trip? I love the books like that too, or even a lot of art will just take you by what their thought stream is, and you just kind of get to jump in it for a minute, <laughs> and then you have to follow along. That's how Skipper Bee was, I felt like. Yeah. Again, when I look at it now, it's, it all of it seems to make more sense, like in hindsight. But you didn't know what the symbols were at the time. Yeah, no, I had no idea. Yeah. Or why certain, yeah, why it went a certain way and stuff like that. Oh, so this is interesting. So now that you know the symbolism, do you feel like you use, you draw in a different way than, say, Skibber Be By because you're thinking about it purposefully rather uh, than just having it come through? No. <laughs> it still comes out the same. I still feel like I don't, I'm not really in control of what's going on. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you didn't lose it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why I'm interested in this stuff, because like drawing all the time, I was just like, I've never really understood why, what comes out, or why, mm. like, what's going on with it. I think that yeah. kind of central mystery to what's going on has made me like be interested in all this. And it just keeps, good. then you don't stop yourself either by having to like check stuff out or see if it's correct. You just go. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, which is me being a cartoon. There's parts of being a cartoonist that have been really weird that way because it's not, there's no, the stories don't always make sense. <laughs> the more time that's going by, there's like less sense that it's making and stuff. But right. I do feel like I'm getting to a point now where people kind of expect that of me. Oh, so you're off the hook. Yeah, a yeah. Bit, yeah. Now that I've got another book to put in there, yeah. I know, let's talk about your new book there. The new book is half of it is Cosmogenesis, which is. Madame Blavatsky. I think it's the craziest thing about this book is I got Fanagraphics, someone to publish 40 pages of Madame Blavatsky test. In a cartoon version. Which I don't think anyone's ever done. No one's ever done that. How many of you guys know who Madame Blavatsky is? She, or was. She, or maybe is, right? Maybe she's still floating Uh around. She was like a gigantic Russian woman that would smoke cigars and eat a lot of steak and kind of just rebelled against the societies at the time and did her own thing. And she got in a lot of trouble. People have like you know, claims against her as a fraud because she would do these spiritualist medium performances that a lot of people said were falsified, which is fine. And a lot of people said we're true. Sure, but you can say that this she thing, falsified the, the, the those. The best thing is this. What, what sound does this make if I had a magic wand in my hand? Right. What happens when I do this? Ding! Yeah. Ring. People said that that's what she did in the sound that they heard it. Nobody ever knew what the hell it was. Oh, and it's so become the, yeah. part of our culture. That's, there was no like waving a wand and having Until her. stars come out of it. Yeah. That's pretty good. She did the bippity-boppity-boo. Yeah. Yeah. But in addition to whatever you want to feel about her fraudulent activities, she did, in fact, manage to write volumes of literature. If you look at it, you can't dismiss it. This is the problem. There's like thousands of in-depth pages on archaic knowledge that she managed to compile, which is, even if you're a dum-dum, it's a feat of sheer time involvement. Even if none of the information in any of those books is true and she made it all up, it's still thousands of organized pages of data. So regardless of what you think about her, she's a fascinating character in history. And at the Theosophy Society was where I used to talk. So that was, and also when I was at the PRS, we would talk mm-hmm. about Madame Blavatsky a lot too over there. Well, Billy Hall is the some people really claim that a lot, right? And there was some evidence kind of where people would say so. It was funny. They had very similar eyes, where is, where is body shape. Where is they now? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who is the reincarnation? I know, where did they end up? Well, I, it sounds like, because they, wait, because they were both like. They're weirdly really similar, the, yeah. Well, I never really thought about that. Yeah. He didn't smoke cigars constantly. He didn't. He would just eat a lot of cookies. That's right. He would carry him around like in a bag with him. Cookies are important. You have to bring them along. It's true. But he used to talk like every week, right? Yeah, every every single week without fail. But it's a way of integrating the information. So, for example, when you have like a comic about this esoteric information, this is a way to make it accessible, right? How many of you guys have tried to read anything of Madame Blavatsky's? 
Yeah, it's really hard to do, right? Did you, were you guys like, yes, this is easy? No, it's like, what is she talking about? It's like painful. It's terrible. So when you try to read some of these religious or esoteric or alchemical works, you find out that it's very difficult to comprehend it. And one of the things that visuals and artists and people who can take that information and transform it into like basically candy, which I would call Ron's comics are like eye candy, right? This is a wonderful thing because when I was researching alchemy and learning about it, there was no interwebs yet. This is how old I am, you guys. So there's no, I couldn't go on the internet and just be like, oh, alchemy means sun and moon and this. And there wasn't like a million Burning Man pages talking about spiritual alchemy. No, I had to go read Paracelsus. And you had that. I read his book. You had to know that. And no one could tell me what it was or who he was. And everyone thought I was weird for even looking at it. And then I went and I read the secret doctrine from front to cover. And then I read the secret teachings of all ages, you know, because there wasn't a bunch of cliff notes by a bunch of bloggers at that time. So the gift of being able to not only present um, artistic information and creative stuff, but to integrate education into it on some hard-to-obtain information. This is always wonderful, right? And I mean, a lot of subject matters of comics will usually look at, you know, the human condition in one form or another, mm-hmm. um, or just fun stuff, too, sometimes. But when you can get, you know, those ones that will also educate and inform you, that's the best combo. For me, I'm a nerd, though, but when I can, like, you know, have fun and learn, that's always good. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of the stuff, I don't, I think a lot of other cartoonists might take this stuff and like put it into a story with their characters. Or right, integrate and, it, yeah. yeah. Whereas I mostly am just... But not the data. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But. The raw data of this material gets into a lot of science stuff, so it's hard for people to take in sometimes, you know. So having it available in a nice, you should mm-hmm. totally make science books too that <laughs> would help could, people... Yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff in the first one talks about the cosmogenesis where the breaking apart of mm-hmm. energy and stuff like that, which is accurate scientifically. So, Yeah, this, the Blavatsky stuff, what I pretty much did is like there's the, because there's the whole encyclopedia. Yeah. But then there's the paperback reader's thing. Yeah, her little Cliff's Notes. Yeah, yeah. The, the like Cliff's Notes thing. And I took that. In this, it's just like every time I saw something that was really cool and visual, I just highlighted it. Yeah. And then when I was done, I was like, oh, that's 40 pages. Of, I'm going to draw these ideas right. and just strung them together. Is that how you work? Do you feel like you just kind of get concepts and then go from the concepts? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I'll have the concept. And then with the, these ones, I just had the uh, like the sentences the, or the paragraph. And I was just like, would sit down and be like, oh, today I've got to draw this. And right. it's just got this, you know fantastical thing. I'm just like, all right, that whatever that image it's is. It's pretty good. But yeah. Do you ever get flack from people for your subject matter? No. Oh, that's amazing. Really? What do you mean what, by what kind? I don't I do feel like going into this material, I did actually expect to be more, like to get emails from people. Right. Just being like, don't talk about this subject, or you don't right. know anything about Paschal Beverly Randolph, or you don't. And right. it's been really the, even the Blavatsky stuff. I put this in this book because, uh, they put a bunch of the drawings in Quest. The Theosophical Society contacted me. Oh. About oh, did they using... publish them in Quest? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so I mean, cool. Well, that's what you were talking about, whether Blavatsky's arrived when they sent me, like, three copies on the shrink wrap somebody had written in Sharpie, thanks for keeping my light alive, signed HPB. Oh, that's cute. And I was like, but look, they channeled her like I got it. The yeah. joke of them channeling her and writing her good. name. So she, yeah, sent me copies of it and stuff. That's pretty good. Yeah. Right. But yeah, once they had, I was surprised, and like the only, and I even asked them. I was like, "Well, can you look and make sure?" And there was like one thing in here where it's like uh, you instead of them, or there was like one thing right. where like this one word is wrong. It was like and that was tense it. of something. Yeah, so. it's pretty good. No, I've been very uh, surprised to be able to do this stuff. Yeah. But. Have all you guys read the cartoon Utopia? Most folks. What did you guys think? Was it pretty easy to get at? come across <laughs> I mean it's a lot of stuff in it I mean it's so big how long did it take you to do the whole thing to draw it all all the like, comics uh, in that would you say, what's the time span like, like four or five years four or five years yeah. yeah but I stopped myself to do that book all the everything that's in here I already knew I wanted to do 
and could have been in that, but I'd like still be doing it. Right. So yeah, I stopped it at a certain point to do it, but yeah. But they're kind of related. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Even the Wonder Woman thing at the end. There's Wonder Woman, the second half of the book, it's Wonder Woman, Diana, uh, I guess. It doesn't say that it's Wonder Woman. I know, he'd get in really big trouble, you guys. Talking about getting in trouble. Don't get him in half trouble. Half the book, I don't think I'm going to get in trouble. The second half of the book. You could get in trouble. I could get in trouble. But we... But I don't, I don't think so. We've, we've we had all these crazy synchronicities with Wonder Woman, you guys, because Ron started researching it. You guys know that Chick's book came out on the Wonder Woman? I don't know how many of you guys read that. If you're super comic nerds, you might read that kind of stuff like we do. But she talked about like the creators of Wonder Woman and what some of their history was, but she left out all the best parts for fear of controversy, I assume. I guess, although I don't know why you would want to not talk about those parts, but... I think maybe not knowing enough about the subject matter. Maybe to be she, honest, yeah, right. Because when I asked her about it, we're talking about there's a book about the people who created Wonder Woman, uh, Liam Moulton Marston, who is very interesting and uh, amazing. Yeah, he uh, helped invent the polygraph, <coughs> stuff like that. Did you guys uh, know that? The, the creator of Wonder Woman helped invent the polygraph based on her golden lasso of truth. This is amazing to me. I can't even believe Do you guys know there's a technology that they use in forensic science that was invented by the creator of Wonder Woman? You guys know this? Which also makes, to me, makes the polygraph seem even less real. <laughs> like, why? Because whenever I hear the I'm like, wait, they use that really in court? Right. I know. How does that work? It's a golden lasso. That's how yeah. it works, right? Yes. But we got really into it, and then we did a talk, which we're going to do another one May 20th. Yes. For those of you guys. Just about the whole Wonder Woman esoteric occult history Um, Um, at the uh, Steve Allen Theater, which they're going to be closing too. If you guys haven't been to see anything through Trepany House, our friend Amit runs it. They're going to be closing soon, and they're building condos there. Boo, greed. But the Center for Inquiry is worth like checking out there. Dude, started by Steve. Alan, right? There's that. He- I love that. Where's that sculpture gonna go? I know. The what head. are they gonna do with all that it's stuff? It's only you. It's outside. You can walk over there and see it, right? It's like two blocks from here. It's a head, right? That's in, in a cage. Yeah. And the head is made out of the thing that's encaging the mind is all of the symbols of all the world religions put into like one it's amazing. giant thing. It's like a star of David with a cross coming off of it, and all some of the symbols. It's like, what is that the symbol of? Yeah. But if they're there, they'll tell you. It's true. That theater became the hub of the Skeptic Society and a lot of atheists too, right? I think it was the atheists and the skeptics um, would all hang out there at that theater. Like all the biggies would come for events there all the time. But I feel it seems to me like the skeptics and like the PRS, the occult, it's like they've got so much. I know we got to do magic stuff at the Skeptic Society, which I thought was pretty hilarious. But if you get a chance to go see stuff there before they totally close, I think they'll be there like through the end of the year or something. But yeah, yes, that's true. Does anyone have questions about stuff? Um, when you were doing the illustrating the Blavatsky uh, nuggets, mm-hmm. you, um, have you taken away any of them for use in your current life? Oh, that's a good question. From Cosmogenesis? Yeah. Like, let me see. What do I do in here? It's hard. It's hard to know. I do. That one's more worldview type of stuff, right? This is more worldview, and I don't even know um, the whole. What do you? The whole theosophical worldview, like the Mm -hmm. universe forming thing, is very curious to me. And I think that the whole idea of like even in science, yes, the forming of the universe seems so mysterious. But yes, uh, Madame Blavatsky was very controversial at the time because this was before everyone had popularly accepted Darwinism. Darwinism was just kind of starting as this thing like, hey, how about this maybe? But there was actually multiple evolutionary theories, which P.S. you guys might want to check out because Darwin was wrong about quite a few things. Just say it. But there was alternate evolution evolutionary theories and this was what happens when science only adapts one thing as truth which I always think it's dangerous to think that only one thing is true and then nothing else is true right that's how you get like brainwash cults and stuff so basically science has brainwash culted everyone to think that Darwin's theory of evolution was the only one which it was not so in Blavatsky's material she prevents 
sev- she presents several other possibilities of evolutionary theory for the creation of the universe. So that's what's in cosmogenesis, basically, are these alternative theories to the Big Bang. At the time, this was in like the 18, late 1800s, I think, that she was doing it. So it was really at that time when people were becoming aware of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything directly that I've taken. I think when I'm doing this stuff and when I was doing the Blavatsky drawings, I was more thinking of like her and the channeling and stuff like that because I had been reading a lot about like her it's Like life. the mediumship? Yeah, the mediumship and how she went about stuff. And then um, I'm thinking of all... I Probably when I was making this, I was thinking about a lot of the original theosophists as like kind of like bohemians in our time. Right. Well, they were. They all moved to L.A., as like a kind of cult, right? The Cretona apartments up there by the Besant Lodge were there when Hollywood was just starting, and they were like a utopian cult, basically, living in L.A. But even with different parts of her life, like there's a part where she's living with Mabel Collins, who yeah. wrote about Light on the Path. There's a, there was this young woman, I think like a society woman or something right. like that, who had wrote a bunch of the, like kind of the main theosophical like books, like really small books, but she was living in a small apartment, like a one-room apartment with Madeleine Blavatsky, and they started Lucifer Magazine, yeah. which became the Theosophist. Just which, two chicks starting Lucifer West. Magazine. But the thing, the reason, and if you look on the internet, the reason that you even find out about Mabel Collins is she was dating a guy that maybe was Jack the Ripper. Wow. That's a pretty and crazy thing, twist. And so I'm just thinking of like, all, like I've just like even like there's so many parts of these people's lives that just remind, like, made me think it's just a of people I know and stuff like that and right. how things go on you like right. go about so it's more thinking of them as like real people I think I know like individuals that really do stuff yeah instead of mythologizing them yeah right so you it's more of like a history or description than like a personal path for you uh no I think it's a personal path all the stuff my Everything that I've discovered in kind of esoteric stuff for me, the reason that it sticks with me is it actually makes sense to what I've experienced mm-hmm. since I've been on this earth. And I've never, like, I guess, I was raised Catholic and stuff, and it wasn't that it was, like, pushed on me or anything. It was just, like, I went, that was the life I was in. I was in, on the East Coast and went to Catholic school and stuff, and, like, through everything that I was hearing, it just didn't jibe with me because I knew that I had lived before. And I experienced deja vu as a child. Yeah. And so, like, my kind of um, unconscious life, I didn't see... It didn't make sense in any, like, belief systems. And I didn't... In a time of my life where I would have gotten into kind of, like, like lighter New Age stuff or mm-hmm. stuff like that didn't really attract me. But in the occult and the way that they... Talk about a lot of it. I think is like Westernization of maybe Eastern ideas. It's true. Like, yeah. But like universal ideas, the whole like as above, so below, and the whole like the light and the dark stuff is always just like when I read it, it makes sense to me and seems real. Yeah. And see, and so much of it, and and I, a lot of it will seem kind of like wistful and interesting. But when I read Manly P. Hall, I'll be like, oh, what the this. It's true. Of, this group of guys and like. <laughs> Plotness, this and whatever. So when I'm when I'm reading it, yeah, it just it rings. It true. rings. Yeah. It rings true with me. And if anything, I've been and it's helped me piece together all this other stuff about yeah. other maybe things and ideas that I've seen in the world that didn't make as much sense to me. And it's helped me like piece it together, like the Lilith stuff. Yeah. One of the comics, and I was looking through the different parts of the cartoon utopia <coughs> that um I did from Maja's lectures, and there's a whole Lilith lecture that you yeah. gave. That explains Lilith and Adam as being the ma- the original male and female. That uh, to me, like, it's a biggie, especially with all this trans stuff happening now. I think it's important for people to understand that the prototypical human in the largest religion that everybody knows about, Judeo Christianity, was in fact hermaphroditic. It was not Adam and Eve. It was one thing that was both male and female. Right? It's total. Transsexual, which I think is just kind of funny, right? And then it gets all this guff throughout time and history. And then the King James Bible denounces it, even though King James was like the gayest man on earth at the time, which makes no sense to me either. It's just all very much was part of the history and religion and then was absolutely extracted from it and like left out 
for, you know, you could get into however many conspiracy theories you want about that, but the fact of the matter was it was removed, and that Adam was always thought of as a man. How many of you think of Adam as a man? This was, it was Adam Cadmon, which was an entity that was male and female in total hermaphroditic form. That's the basis of Judeo-Christianity. It's funny, right? Come on. I think it's funny. There's all this. I mean, it's not funny that people get tortured and killed about it, but it's ridiculous that people have this misconception and then base torturing and killing people on a total broken telephone misconception when their entire religion is based on a transsexual starting the human race. Yeah, and the idea of there being Adam and Lilith, and Lilith being the side that's like hidden. Yeah, the shadow. The shadow side and everything. Just like, as soon as I heard that stuff, I'm like, oh, then that just makes all the rest of it make sense to me. Okay, yeah. now I finally get the, like, Adam and Eve story. Right. So, what is, so is Adam Lilith is half of Adam Cadmon. So Adam Cadmon gets split in two. There's none of this rib business till way later. He gets split down the middle and is equal part male and female. But then they can't, they don't get along. Well, Lilith doesn't like him. So she leaves and goes and does what she wants to do. And then Eve is created after she jams. Because she doesn't want to do stuff for Adam. She's like, I don't care about you. Get away from me. And then she leaves, and Adam complains to God and says that he wants a companion. And God's like, okay, okay, give me a rib. I'll make another one. And that's how the real story, according to the oldest sources. Which explains, like, this whole patriarchal, weird society that we live in. It's pretty weird. It's like, okay, now it makes sense. Wait, they had that story, and then they went with that? that, So, yeah. Yeah. It just goes to show that the ver- what, depending on the version of the story that you get, it's going to vary significantly, right? I was talking around earlier about it is like a broken telephone thing where people just take little snippets of stories. You can see it all the time in Hollywood, right? They'll leave all these very vital pieces of the story out. And in fairy tales, too, it's like the difference between a real fairy tale or the Disney version of the fairy tale. Like if you read Grimm's version of... The Little Mermaid, and then you watch The Little Mermaid, you're like, what the, what is this? This is stupid. It's not even got the good parts in it. This is the whole point. And that's pretty much what the Bible is now, is like the Disney version of The Little Mermaid. Right? So you have to always keep that under consideration. Alternative facts. Yes. (laughs) It's propaganda. Right? Just by tweaking a little thing. You mentioned um, Pascal Beverly Randolph, so mm-hmm. you add in Cosmogenesis, and can you talk about what his work or like? Yes, I found out about him from Maja. Everyone and, should um, find out about Pascal Beverly Randolph. Well, I yes. feel like his name, you know, who was, <coughs> heard of him. He looks really well researched, and it's a giant tome. That's like you know, I haven't read that. Have you read the whole? There's Which a one? new. There's a, like a new biography of him, right? Oh, I haven't read the new one. I have an older one that's pretty big too. Mid right? <coughs> yeah. Exactly. He's a subject that seems very because there's all different like ways of coming at his story. That's so. He was a slave that freed himself and then became a doctor and brought Rosic- the Rosicrucianism to the United States. Yeah. Right. He was one of the. He was going to be a pallbearer at Abraham Lincoln's funeral, but he was not permitted because he was black. Oh wait, was that that was Randolph, right? That's yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's Paschal Beverly Randolph. <laughs> he came but, up with that. Yeah. But yeah, the Rosicrucian <clears throat> stuff with him, there's at the African American side. And the, well, not only that, his Ulysses, the Book of Love, yeah. his like sex magic book that he went around. This is a freed black slave who wrote a sex magic book, just to let you know, like at the time, that's pretty ballsy, right? Yeah, and yeah. pretty much, and when you read it, it's just like, don't beat your wife. Yeah, and listen to like you. Went, I'm like, let me read this secret Rosicrucian sex magic. It's like, oh, if you're nice to the person, and maybe you have a conversation as if it's your partner crazy. was a man, yeah. tell you to treat you your... might get along, and then the love may you're you would be surprised how it'll affect your life. When I'm reading, I'm like, this is just like Oprah's like yeah. stuff, like. Or something like he would go around and lecture to like doctors and all kinds of which like, makes me think of the whole like the, all the kind of like right wing Illuminati conspiracy of all of like se- sex magic or things being yeah. like kind of like spooky. It's like well, read his book and you'll despookify the whole thing, yeah. right? He would go and give lectures and tell these white men how to give their wives orgasms. Literally, this is black man go out there and tell them this in the eighteen hundreds. 
I mean, come on, that's so cool. But there's a chapter in there that's his ideas of about, because his thing was like affectional alchemy and also kind of like very like envisioning, imagining positivity stuff. Yeah, visualization, yeah. yeah. But there's a chapter in there that's the lecture that you gave about him and then I read his thing. Yeah. Put that in there and there. And then there's also this guy, Neville Goddard. Yeah. Who I actually don't know as much about. Neville Goddard was one of the new thought people, I think. Right. Like, he was very kind out of Out like of Chicago? Popular. Does anyone know Neville Goddard? Like what his story, his stuff's very good if you want to check it out. Neville Goddard was a very famous speaker and he was, I think he spoke in Los Angeles oh, quite right. a bit. Yeah. But yeah, I mishmashed all that stuff up into one of the chapters, yeah. That's How did you find out about Paschal Beverly Randolph? Oh, probably the wiki. So I had to do oh, yeah. like, here. I know. This is, like, I had to go super sleuth at Scooby-Doo style. Like in the libraries, I had to put the collected works of Paracelsus on interlibrary loan and go to the library downtown in Seattle where I was living at the time. And they wouldn't release it to me. And I asked them why. They said you have to look at it. I had to look at it in the building. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a reserve book. They said due to the subject matter. Really? Yes, that they could not permit it to leave the building. Does but I had to get all those books through interlibrary loan. Wait, does that mean that there's like that libraries have a list of books like don't let this leave? They're gonna do some maybe like a cult magic thing with it. I always had, they always gave me dirty is looks. That the idea like you're gonna do a ceremony with the book or something. I don't know, but I sure like, got all of them. Candle wax on it. Who knows? I got them all anyway. I didn't care. <laughs> right? I know that would be great. <laughs> no, I haven't gotten any. I haven't. No, no one's been mad. That's really yeah. good. <laughs> Did any of you guys get mad about it? <laughs> I'm so mad. I know, it's not working if nobody's mad. Right? You have to learn to be more offensive, Ron. Mm, I'm working on it. Yeah. Well, so there questions? Is that a video? Or I wish. You should totally no. make a music video out of that. <laughs> that swirling around. Right? No, but I think it's going to be a patch. It's uh. <laughs> good. If you guys look at the Paschal Beverly Randolph books, that's imprinted on the front of all the old school books in this like gold. That was his insignia. And it's funny, it's similar to the Theosophical one, right? How many yeah. of you guys have seen the Theosophical one? It's got the Arubris and then the star in the middle instead of the pyramid. But they're pretty similar. And you can look at, at that time in the late 1800s, there was all the Rosicrucianism and Freemasonry was spreading all over Europe. Like it was very popular uh, at the time because it had a resurgence. It was like outlawed or banned or whatever by the Pope. Like a hundred, it was like in the 1700s, I think they had that papal bill. I can't remember the date. But so it went underground and then it had this resurgence when Theosophy, the Rosicrucians, we see Aleister Crowley at that same, all at the same time, like happening in Europe, there was this huge cluster bomb of occult esoteric information that came back out. And it was through these very restricted sources of just a couple of people that had the books. So this was like Scooby-Doo style, right? You had to get your hands on the book. The only reason S.L. McGregor Mathers was able to start the Rosicrucians was because he had these books. So he had the know-how. This was how, if you had that knowledge, you could start your own cult at the time, which is what these people basically did because they had the goods, right? There was no interwebs, and people were like, how do I find out about Cyclopses that built the pyramids? And Madame Blavatsky was like, I know. <laughs> She's like, I don't know how to... I can tell you all about it. She goes, she would see it in her... She right. would see it in front of her and then copy it down, right? Exactly. She'd be like, don't bother me, I'm like... Yeah, there was something the chick she lived with would say she would watch Madame Blavatsky. I guess would just sit there. Yeah, and she'd be like... Like for hours. And it was like she, years, she saw like a hand holding up a piece of paper. Writing everything yeah. down. Like you can look at the thousands. She just sat there writing everything. But then all the stuff that she wrote is in books that were very far away. Yeah. And so people have looked. They're like, well, she's got to be lying because there's yeah, no way. That's she true. copied this shit from this book. But she had to go to Japan or, or Tibet. Yeah. yeah. The thing about her going to Tibet is just like she didn't go I to know, Tibet. I know. The... the Consensus seems to be yeah, she, she lied. She says she went to Tibet and read all these books and then wrote them down from memory later. Right. But she didn't because there's no way she could have gone to, to Tibet, but she still wrote it all down. So but both, the information was both still both good. Sides are kind of crazy. Yeah, and it doesn't make any, story sense. Make any sense. Yeah. It's hard to find out the truth, you guys. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys noticed that. 
it's tricky, right? You have to find out what it, like if you look at new age stuff is getting very popular, right? It's all come out of everybody's ears because everyone's interested in it. But you have to look at what are these people saying? Where are they getting it from? A lot of times they'll just snip little things like algorithms on the internet, right? So try to track some of this data to make sure that it's not just someone's kind of fairy tales can be tricky. That's how a lot of the angel stuff yeah, to me. It's true. Like I can't tell, but I'm like, this is a lot of information about all these angels. A lot of data. Yeah. Going to ask yourself, it'll stop yourself from doing some stories in cartoon utopia. Mm-hmm. Are those stories you still stop yourself from doing? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> you could just draw all day, never I stopping. Do. I tend to, it's always been this way, but I've always, yeah, have like 10 years worth of ideas of stuff that I want to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess some of them fall by the wayside, but yeah. Hmm? Uh, well, the next thing I'm going to do. I'm going to do, there's a guy called Stanislaw Zukolski, who is this, uh, yeah, I'm going to take, he, I'm going to do a short story of his as a graphic novel, it's going to take forever. <laughs> is that the but, artist uh, that you post a lot, James? Yeah. Yeah, yeah same guy, right? Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Um, yes. You mentioned um, having a feeling like you had lived before. Uh, as a kid, I was wondering, like, what, what? Oh, how I knew that? I don't know how I know it. But it just seemed, it's always seemed something that seems like a given to me. And um, and I think when I was a kid, I definitely, like, I just, I almost sense this kind of, like, frustration. And when I see it in kids, I think of it myself as, like, the frustration of being a kid. I totally remember just being, like, like having my arms and legs and knowing that they could work and that I used to know how to make them work. And I don't know if that's just like a fantasy, psychology, biology. A biological memory, right? Biological memory. Maybe I didn't live before, but there's like, but then when it comes down to it, like instinct is crazy. It's true. It's very crazy. Yeah. So, but I've always, but so learning about that stuff, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Just kind of intrinsically, maybe I'm wrong. And that's other, some, you know, what the illusion of like how we're living or whatever, but yeah, it was just always a sense kind of that I had, and I had deja vu all the time. So I would as a always, kid even. Yeah, 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 mostly as a kid. I'd say the older I get, the less I have it. Mm. And when I was like around five, I would just like see things happen. I'd be like, that cup of juice is going to fall off the table, and then my aunt is going to say something, and then this commercial is going to come on, and it would happen. Oh, and so you had like prescience. Yeah, like prescience yeah. would be happening. Things would be happening right in front of me, and I'm like, I know what's going to happen. Right. But it was always just kind of dull, and it was confusing to me. I think it, it was confusing to me, and I couldn't explain it to other people. And it was only like when I was older that it made sense to me. Right. I remember hearing about ESP when I was like nine on like In Search Of or something right. like that. And just being like, that's what it is. And I like went to school the next day and told like my friend. That and then I, they thought you were crazy. Yeah. yeah. I had ESP. You can't talk to people about this stuff. We had stuff, all seen the show on ESP the night right. before. And I was like, I think you have ESP. And they're like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a lot of the time if you have a magical experience that you share with people, they call you crazy. Right? So but it's hard if you haven't, ex- it's experience, right? It's the subjective nature of the universe, right? Yeah. One, one man's meat is another man's poison. But if you have an experience and then can't bridge that little rainbow bridge gap to the other person to <laughs> relay it, there's no relationship. That happens every day with people. <laughs> we can't, they can't understand someone had an experience that was different than their experience. It's so weird. Right? Or they don't believe it, too. Yeah. Which is, a lot of people lie a lot and make stuff up, so it makes sense. But people don't believe everything. Anything else? Um, oh, I just, just wondering if you had any thoughts on, um, I, I think it's really interesting because there's kind of like a confluence between comics and magic. I mean, you know, um, case to the point. And, you know, and also people like Alan Moore. Yeah, yeah. Or practice magicians. I just mm-hmm. wonder if you had any, any thoughts on what it's... Oh, why it's... Uh, well, it, you know, yeah. Makes total sense to me because it's what it's... What, that's the one thing about looking at the Wonder Woman thing and just being like, the people... It's When you look at the first... The original Wonder Woman stories and you look at... If you know anything about kind of new-agey stuff, you're like, 
that's what she's doing. Yeah. That's what all with her, but that's also all the other superheroes too. Yeah. To me, so it kind of most makes superheroes sense. The are whole idea magicians. Of having superpowers, yeah, is kind of like in that idea. As right. far as people doing work about it now or recently, uh, I think it, different people have different reasons. It kind of makes sense with the science fiction thing. For me, it all seems like really interesting stuff for fantasy and science fiction. I think people have used it in a lot of different ways. Those two guys are pretty polar, like differences about the way they're doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's funny, uh, right? Yeah. But Mo, if you're an artist, you're actually a magician. A lot of people don't know this. The other meaning of the word "draw," like to draw something, means to attract it, right? And all of the magicians would draw sigils to attract things, or you would draw people. It was meant as a magical action to even do the drawing in the first place. So a lot of artists will draw these things and all this crazy stuff will happen after they draw a story. Like I was talking to a friend of mine that worked on a comic with Bill Burroughs about the Mayan death god. And he said they were he was like drawing pictures of the Mayan death god. And all this Mayan death god stuff just started coming at him. Like everyone would be talking about it or he'd see a picture of it randomly. Like he started literally magnetically attracting the thing that he was drawing. How many of you guys have had that experience? If you've drawn something and then like, what? It's right there. Or done a song. Like a lot of musician friends of mine will sing a song about something and then it'll literally manifest uh, in their life pretty quick. So, I mean, you can see how the comics in general are conducive to magical practice just because of, you know, drawing and writing is magic making. But when people do it with an intention, right? Or like how Alan Moore will do it, and with that idea behind it, I feel like comics are a great medium to express magic. It, when I was kind of thinking of like what made comics different or what in like why I did them or trying to explain them to people, uh, what is magic about comics to me is that you're actually looking at, the person's looking at, even though it's reproduced and sent around the world and printed, they're looking at actually what I drew to read the thing. Mm. And it's like... I don't think. I guess if you tried to read like a Stephen King thing in his handwriting, it wouldn't be like right. it's harder to do that when it's full language. But the fact that people are actually just like one on one looking at my drawing, the seems, image itself, yeah, yeah, seems super magical to me, or, or like unlike anything else, um, which is yeah, kind of ancient way of doing stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, drawing stuff with the stick seems pretty basic human like desire thing. Yeah, I know it's weird. Who started that? <laughs> That's a good one. Let me get this whole, stick, and then I'll the make whole, it. Like machine, like why we make yeah tools. It's making. technology, right? Yeah. Tools. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.